Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday over the next year, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church. Thank you for listening to the Your Story Matters podcast. Uh, I'm really excited for today's episode. I've got two of my really good friends sitting down with me, people who I've known for a long time, people who um, our stories actually kind of weirdly cross paths with people before we ever met. Uh, it's Brian and Karen Pennington. And typically, um, at least for collective, Brian and Karen are on the behind the scenes side of things, uh, cameras, um, audio, all of it. Um, they're the ones who put together the videos for the Your Story Matters series and subsequently the podcast. And so I'm excited to put them on the other side today um, in a place that not many people get to see them in, and um, but a place that uh, I'm really excited to, that they get to be in to share a little bit about their story and their faith and what their life's been like. And so uh, thank you guys for, for being with me today. Um, go ahead and share with people listening a little bit about yourself so they know. Um, they've probably seen you around, but they might not know exactly who you guys are. Well, I'm I'm Brian. And I'm Karen. And uh, yeah, we've been married for 15 years. And we are film school sweethearts. We met in <laughs> film school and um, that's why we now own our own media company. So we do video and commercials, animations, and we work together and it always baffles people. Like I could never work with my spouse, but we've been doing it and we love it. We feel very, very blessed to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. And you guys aren't just in media, you're award-winning media professionals. You guys like submit and crush everything. We, we try hard. Yeah. We try very hard. Well, we do, we do like, we do indie films too, so yes. that's, uh, we enjoy that side of it too. I mean, we generally do the corporate stuff just so we can then make our own projects. That's kind of why we do what we do. We do it all as best as we can um, oh, yeah. and child ourselves, which is one thing that drew, drew us to Collective. <laughs> it's this a very similar culture yeah. of just like, how good can we make this? Yeah, yeah. and I would say for those of you listening um, who go to Collective, if you've ever watched one of the bumper videos and felt that feeling, you know, and sometimes it's joy or it's laughter. And sometimes you're like, man, that hit me right in my soul. That's because it's created by Brian and Karen and um, they're a wonderful team. Um, they're a part of this church, so they know the culture of this church and they know like, hey, this this is the type of content we have to bring forward to really elicit a wide array of emotions. Um, typically, Brian is the one who steers me away from all the dark stuff and into some of the more joyful um, stuff and, uh, you know, kind of pulls on, on those different strings. And so, um, guys, I'm, I'm so thankful that you're doing this. I know I've heard your story and, you know, just a few minutes ago was sharing. It shaped a lot of what I do as I try to lead and care for people. Um, I've learned a lot from you guys, and I'm just excited for you guys to be on the other side of this. So um, same question we start everybody off with. Uh, not the easiest question to, to work through, but tell us a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Um, what was your childhood like? Family dynamics, all that. Uh, I guess kind of get us to the place where you 
meet so you can become film school sweethearts. Born and raised in Maryland, raised in the country, a creative childhood. I was homeschooled from fourth grade on, so that allowed me the opportunity to pursue my passion of filmmaking. Parents, uh, even though they weren't sure if my brother's desire to be an artist and mine to be a filmmaker was sustainable, they pushed us and let us grow into it, committing to it as a, as a career and then going down to um, film school where I met Karen. I grew up in Pennsylvania, uh, Lancaster County, so middle of Amish country. I am not Amish. I am not Mennonite. That's just where my parents met. They went to they met in Bible school, and uh, one of the reasons they ended up staying was because they um, had planned to be missionaries. Got about half their funding. They were going to be missionaries to Brazil and open a school down there, but they never got the full funding, so they ended up just kind of staying. So that's where uh, my brother and I grew up. We had a pretty normal childhood. My brother and I fought a lot until about seventh and eighth grade, and then we finally became like really good friends. In seventh grade, I got really interested in videos and filmmaking, and so by the time I was in like tenth grade, I already knew what college I was going to. I knew like what I wanted to do. So my junior and senior year were kind of a breeze. The college that we went to has starting dates every month. So they don't, it's not a normal college schedule. So the fact that we happened to pick the same date and then went to a college where there's only 12% female and that we actually like ended up together is like the odds are just so, so, so I'm, I'm glad we uh, ended up together. I think it's a God thing. Yeah, it feels right. Um, so what was faith like growing up? Was it a real part of your life? Was it a passive part of your life? And then for you personally, like, what did that mean for you? So I grew up in a home that had no faith. Um, my father was agnostic or atheistic. I don't know what you would use that that time. It goes back and forth to some people. Uh, and he's a great dad. But he was, you know, it was very science, business, math. And my mom was the same way. She, they all, had, they both had good hearts, um, and they were good people. But faith was just not something that we did. Um, I'm fairly certain. I meant to check on this, but I was uh, christened because they knew it was important. Um, And there was some tradition there, I guess, in our family. I don't know how far back it goes. But it wasn't until a close friend of ours, still a close friend of ours, started having conversations with my mom about faith that started her asking those questions. And then somehow, well, my mom got us all to go to my first church experience, which was a Baptist church here in Maryland. That had no real active kids programs. My brother and I would just like kneel below the pews and draw people we saw in our drawing book. There was one guy that kept shouting out amen. We drew him a lot. It didn't scare me. I had a lot of questions, um, but it wasn't something I could really interact with in any tangible way besides knowing that God loved me and something about a son. From there, we, when that church started to like change leadership and it was going a, an odd direction, we discovered Manor Woods through their vacation Bible school. And we went there and then kept going back. And then, um, yeah, it was uh, my mom who got baptized first uh, at our older church, um, the Baptist church. And then uh, my brother and my father and I got baptized at, at that church, which was Manor Woods. And I was 12. And it kind of like, it almost was the first time, I, I don't want to say like the first time I treated like an adult, but like the first time I had that autonomy. I was like, oh, well, okay. And I just knew it was what I wanted because I figured like, if my dad could get there, Yep. And it was important to him. And then my brother, who I also look up to him. I'm like, well, let me look into it for myself. The first person to commit 
to supporting collective and the first church to say, no, we're in unequivocally. Um, it was Ken Mead and, and Manor Woods. And there was a good culture of church planting lost people. But that's really where our stories kind of weirdly interact as Manor Woods and even fast forwarding a few years, which we'll, we'll get to. Um, okay, so Karen, what was faith like for you growing up? My mom grew up in a, in a house where her uncle was a, was a pastor and a missionary to um, Haiti. And um, so she grew up with it like from very early age. My dad, however, grew up in a very broken home. He like went down some wrong paths before he decided, I, I don't know what else to do, I'll just join the Navy. So he joined the Navy and then it was in the Navy he, um, you know, came to Jesus. You know, there was, it was one of the chaplains, I guess, that brought him to Jesus. Then he decided to go to Bible school. It's where he met my mom. So faith was always a part of our lives yeah. from a very early age. And even to this day, my dad gets up super early to read his Bible for like an hour. Wow. So that was always something that I saw him doing. I've never really had a lot of like doubts about God. Mm -hmm. the, that base knowledge was always there, but I never really had like a relationship okay. with him until I was much older. Uh, the church I went to was a little evangelical church in the middle of rural Lancaster County, literally on the same property as a chicken farm. But the pastor there was someone was a professor from the local Bible college where my parents met. He was he was a professor. He just basically yeah. taught yeah, like every week. So my parents loved it, but it wasn't super engaging for me as a kid. The kids' church I didn't really love because I just didn't have a lot in common with the kids in that church. A lot of them were related to each other. They were for high, from like higher income families, whereas I was not from a high income family. I didn't really connect with yeah. the kids there. When I became a teenager and could start driving, I was given the option to not go to church if I didn't want to, and so I didn't a lot. <clears throat> didn't really go to church much during college, but had a friend from college actually invite me to Northland, which is this huge church down in Florida. It's like 10,000 people wow. church, but really, really fantastic pastor. And that's where I really started to feel like, how can I make faith like actually an active part of my life? That's where I felt the desire to like start serving. I wasn't able to start serving because of the type of job we had was like, we never knew when we were gonna be working, so I couldn't commit to anything. And then it was, because of that, I decided, I was like, I need to like really dig deep into this, and I always wanted to work at a summer camp. So I just like applied to this summer camp in Pennsylvania, a Christian summer camp, and I went and worked at this Mennonite-run <laughs> Christian camp. Now, it wasn't all Mennonites. You didn't have to be Mennonite to, to be there, but it was just like, that was just kind of like the, the, the base, like yeah. core value kind of thing. And that was the place where I really learned what it was to like have a relationship with Jesus. You had an issue, they would just stop and pray with you right there, right then and there. Um, and at first it felt weird and then it just became normal. It was just like this normal thing to like, oh no, we're gonna pray about this right now. We're gonna, we're gonna take this to Jesus right now. It wasn't something that was just on Sundays. It was like a part of everything that we did. Like Jesus was just there. That was where I really learned to like follow Jesus. Yeah. Were you guys dating at the time when this was happening? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we did we, we dated after college. Um, we were really okay, good so friends. So you did not college. date while you were in college? No, no I liked her a lot, but she rightfully mm -hmm. so. It's another hand of God thing where like, I was not in a place that I was ready to have. I wasn't either. Yeah, it would have, it would have ruined our chances for being together. Um, I, was, I was quite heavy into drinking, um, not in an addictive way, but just like, I felt I felt like you know I I grew up in such a small way and a close space as so I was like okay I'll try this now and I still prayed through all of my college experience it was never like uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm throwing my back on God, like, well, God's got me. Yeah, grace was a big part of, like... Yeah, it really was. I never, I mean, like, through through all the nonsense in college and the drinking and stuff, like, yeah. I, you know, I was still very open about my faith. It wasn't a healthy place to be. Um, but yeah, I, then, was, I uh, was always open about my faith. I yeah, just... but then it was Northland afterwards. So after college is when I really got in Northland as well, and mm-hmm. that's when it kind of, like... And you, you, we would challenge each other in our growth at different points. Mm-hmm. Like, we would, like... Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, afterwards is where we both kind of got right not out of guilt but out of like just remembering just kind of making our faith our own because while I never discarded my faith I did have to you know I mean I was baptized when I was 12 so I knew what I was doing but then you're still being raised in your family's home so there is an element mm-hmm. of like well I can see my mom and dad so I'm going to try and please them or I'm going to try you know so trying to really own your own growth TM <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think for anybody who has a church experience as a child that's good right or, or just exists but not like the one where like my parents dragged me and then yeah. we stopped going I yeah. everybody at some point has to make a decision where they go okay I believe in this thing but now it's a part of my life or I believe in this thing but now I'm gonna like lean into this thing and so you guys so you both have faith growing up you guys become friends but it's interesting that faith wasn't like necessarily a part of the friendship but it's not one of those things where it's the, well, it's, it's, it's our faith in Jesus that brought us together. Yeah. It wasn't that. Mm-hmm. It was your love of film. Mm-hmm. You just happen to start at the same time, have the same passions. There's this underlying thing that is Jesus and faith. You know, you friend zone Brian real hard oh, yeah. in mm-hmm. the beginning. Oh, yeah. Eventually it changes. And eventually you guys ended up back in Maryland. So you leave this this awesome experience of a school where you're you're living in you're you're 19 year old right you're living in apartments you're studying what you want to study you're staying up all night you know you're basically being an adult and you and everyone's from out of town for the most part then you leave and go home and that's where you first kind of had like a, some mental health stuff you were experiencing because you were just like I am so lonely like you went back oh, to Pennsylvania yeah. and you just wanted a friend <laughs> and what friend was close by oh, our parents lived like two hours away she said can I come down and hang out with you I'm like. Yes, you can. So we just kind of grew as friends. We still made, we've made yeah. movies together because we recognize, I mean, she's always been my muse. Yeah, but really it was just like that, that next May after school when kind of like I was running out of reasons why we shouldn't be together and she still had no reason not to. And I kind of said, I actually need you to stop like anything because I need to move on and I need to meet somebody because I knew God had someone for me. And literally right after that, she said, okay, we can date. <laughs> That's good. I had to walk away. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't even. I mean, I was. I was. Honest to goodness, I was ready to walk. I was like cards on the table. Um, And then I took on our first date, and then she's like, "I always knew it was gonna be you." I was like, "But I'm very grateful that God made you so stubborn." It's because like if we had dated before, then it would have probably ruined things. And like looking, it's like it's so frustrating because like I I have such a hard time with trusting God moving forward. But then I look back and I'm like, he was there. Every step of the way. You always talk about how, like, there's so many things that you prayed for that God said no to that you're like, thank God that he said no yes. to that. Like, yeah. But in order for that to be real, you have to stick with it long enough to see it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, they get that first no and they, they jump off. And they're like, nope, yeah. you're not the genie that I need you to be. But it is a testament to faith that goes beyond six months. It's years when you really do get to look back and go, oh, man, you're so good. Yes. Like, But in the moment, it sucks. It's frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you start dating. How, how'd you get back here? 
Well, okay, so then we ended up moving to Florida. Like proper moving. Like proper, like I did, I moved first, then you were still visiting, and then he moved down. Freelancing, was working on a ton of like TV shows, commercials, movies. Um, I was a full-time editor down there, just, mm -hmm. you know, using my talents down there at a company. Yeah, and so because of, uh, Florida is like a big sports town and like production town, like it's got a lot of, um, it's 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 kind of like LA where it's sunny all the time, um, and but it's a little bit cheaper to shoot in. So we had we would have a lot of companies and um, producers come from LA to film in Florida, um, and then all the spring training and everything. So because of all, all the connections we had made from working on all those shoots, we were like, let's go to LA. That seems like the next like step in our career. Wow. We were going to move to LA in September of 2007. Mm -hmm. We got married in May of 2007. We were gonna go in like September to Los Angeles. I, none of us really wanted to go. We just knew that's where the film business was. Mm -hmm. Another hand of God thing, like I'm so glad we didn't end about there because it just all burned down. Like the whole market fell apart. Um, so it was my dad who intercepted us. He had just been laid off from his IT job. We had filmed a really big short film where we built like a whole like colonial village. He's like, this is way more fun. I've got severance, let's start a company. Wow. And for some reason, we had no kids. We said, okay, sure, we can try it. And we just started working um, and just kept working. And then next thing you know, mm -hmm. it's 15 years later and we've been working for ourselves that long. And wow. it's just, it's fantastic because it gives us like the ability to, to raise a family and be flexible. During that season of your life, what was Faith like? After we got married, we got really invested with um, the Manor Woods um, youth program, like mm -hmm. really invested because we were like, we have no kids quite a bit of time, not a lot of money, because uh, we're working for ourselves, so like, let's just go be a part of this, you know, because we can go places with the, with the kids and go on trips and stuff, and having to turn faith from, I believe, to helping explain why it's important to, without pushing them, like kind of seeing things that we didn't like when we were taught as kids from institutions and trying, yeah. to, trying to correct that, that first step of like, what's the best way to let them own it, as opposed to say, you should do this or else. Sure. Um, so that was a really good season of, of getting plugged in there, our first kind of time digging ditches. Yeah. yeah, well, and also like, it was my first time really being part of a church community that was pretty healthy. Learned a lot and the sermons were good and. Giving had always been like, oh, when they talk about giving, I'm like, That's not, that doesn't mean me because I don't make enough money. I just don't want to. I just, I just, I was able to like, my conscience didn't even, didn't even trigger on that. And that's when we started giving and we, we haven't stopped mm -hmm. since. And that's always been something very important to us. Um, difficult, but uh, that was that first big step there, post-college. Now we have a job. It's not a, you know, not a very well, high paying job, again, because we're working for ourselves and, you know, margins are razor thin, but making that portion available to God and seeing what he does with it. Yeah. Karen, go ahead and share with us when you got baptized and what led you to that decision. When I was a kid, maybe 10 or 11, 12, we were at the pool for the baptisms for that summer. They had said, does anybody else want to get baptized today? And I was like, I almost did it. But I think I had this chip on my shoulder all through from there and from then on, like that I don't want to feel like I have to get baptized to show that I love Jesus, right? But that's just kind of how I felt. And my church was not super like, they only did baptisms like once a year. We literally only did communion four times a year. Yeah. Um, fast forward to, you know, we got married, we moved to Maryland. And so we started going to Manor Woods because it was nearby. Within a few months or maybe a year or so, I had had enough conversations with 
the pastor, Dyke McCord, and with some other people that it was like, yeah, I should really do this. I should really take this step. It doesn't mean I didn't love Jesus. It doesn't mean that I wasn't following him. It just means I'm going to do this thing that the Bible tells us we should do. And we should just kind of be obedient in that way. And so finally got up the nerve to do that. And um, I didn't really want to do it in front of the whole church. Um, so what I ended up doing was I did it in during youth group. I remember thinking like, this is neat that these teenagers can see, even as an adult, even as a leader, you can still not have taken that step and it's okay to go, you know what guys, I really should have done this by now, but I'm ready. I'm ready to, to take this step. And so it's, it's not too late. You don't have to make this decision before you turn 18. You don't have to make this decision before you go off to college or before you get married or by any certain point. It's just you need to, uh, you just need to make the decision. You just need to do it when it feels right to you. And I think earlier is better than later. Like, I don't think you should just, you know, kick the can down the road forever. But I think, you know, it's not too late if you're an adult and you're like, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm too old to get baptized now, or I was christened as a baby. I was like, no, you should, you should still take that step. A lot of people put so much pressure on like, oh, once I get baptized, like then everything will be different. I'll never swear. I'll, I'll never curse again. I'll never do anything wrong again. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be that. Yeah. Like you're still gonna, you're still gonna, it might even get harder. It, it's kind of one of those actions you take that leads to other action. And the, the longer we put it off, the harder it is to bring the other action into your life. You know, obviously, you know, baptism is a topic that I love talking about. We talk about it a lot at Collective. And so um, I always love hearing stories of people who wrestled with it. And so you guys at this point are, you're all in, you know, you've kind of worked through some of the younger church tensions that you had, you know, like the frustrations and you know, it didn't take you away from the church. It helped you lean in. And typically that's the part of the story where everybody just wants the ending to be and everything went happily ever after. And that's the end, right? Because you're, you're in. Um, but the thing that we know from life, from this podcast, from the sermon series, is that it's just not the way it, it goes. Yeah, so we well, we were living um, in a rented house at that point with uh, actually Chris and Bethany, who come to Collective, my brother and his now wife. Uh, that's where that home was where we had our first kid, Oliver, and um, the owners wanted to sell that house in 2015. So we had to really that was another big trust God, trusting God moment because of our work situation. We're like, can we afford a house? We had a good friend who's like, yes, you can. We we're looking around Montgomery County. We said we won't go to Frederick. It's too far. We have no one up there. And then inside of a week, we went from looking at renting in like Montgomery in County Germantown. in Germantown to making an offer that was accepted on a home here in Frederick. And I remember laying in bed with you at our then old house saying like, wait a second, what are we doing? We said no Frederick and here we are moving up there. We have no community up there. So yeah, so Oliver, we moved up to Frederick. He was like two, two and a half. He would have been three. And when, during the move, we were pregnant with our, um, our second child, a daughter. At that point, we were working out of our house in Frederick. I was super, super sick. Very Which... tired all the time. Actually, I remember I was joking, like, I just moved you from our old house because you were pregnant. Yeah. I'm like, here's a box. Let me set Karen down. Yeah. Let me well, I, would, I basically <laughs> did nothing with picking a house, moving, any of that stuff. I don't remember a lot of it because I was just so sick. You were like a single dad for like... Yes. A couple months. I mean, we found out later it was because I was originally pregnant with triplets 
and Which that, did not that know. just makes you really really sick apparently so yeah but so I was working out of our basement or our like office at home and I remember Karen went to a checkup uh, at the doctor the midwife and I got a phone call during, I was actually on the phone with the client, and she kept calling. Picked up the phone, I could hear her from her voice, she had been crying, which is like instant reaction for me. I'm like, uh-oh. And I still remember, it was like the exact word you said, you said, they can't find a heartbeat. And then like, just the floor fell off underneath me. Just the worst, <laughs> the worst feeling. Um, uh, so I, I jump off my work call, and I think I called you back then, and because you had all you had Oliver with her yeah, when all this right. is unfolding. So I was, I was going to come to midwife, and I remember the first thing I did was I our house is like a landing of stairs, and I was coming back down. And I just fell on the landing. I didn't fall, but I like fell down and just started praying as quickly as I could, like face to the ground, and just asking God that like this is like a mistake or something um, but then when I got to the midwife and she was there and they kept looking uh, we found out that she had passed that our daughter had passed away and that was at almost 25 weeks along which yeah so we knew we knew that never been pregnant or gone through that that's like around six six months so we long. knew she was a girl we'd already picked the name autumn um, autumn Nellie because Nellie was your grandmother yes so. and uh, one of the worst moments was well, of course, feeling very alone. But then we were sitting in another room, oh my gosh. and the room next to us, they were doing the heart test, and you could hear a heartbeat through the wall. And I remember you just holding your ears. That's one of my bigger regrets that I did not, I never got a recording of the heartbeat, and that kills me. Because it was usual. Yeah, we didn't expect it. it, we didn't think about it. So I guess from my side of things, um, we didn't know that there were triplets until we were at 21 weeks. Um, and they had actually, two of them had passed away at 12 weeks. So they had passed away well before we even knew that they existed. So initially, we didn't really grieve the other two at that time very much because when we went to that appointment and found out there were three, we were going in expecting to see one baby and there was still just one baby there. And so initially it was kind of like, oh, okay, there were three, weird. Um, and then Autumn passed away uh, four weeks later. Um, yeah, like you said, Oliver was with me. He was three and a half at the time, and he, um, I just remember his little, like, face. <laughs> um, he was so, like, hopeful. Like, he was looking at me and holding my hand. He had this big smile on his face because he was so excited to see his sister on the scan. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there like, something is very wrong. Um, and so, um, yeah, that whole, that was obviously like the worst day of our lives. But, um, uh, and they, they were willing to, cause I had to, I, I was far enough along. I had to be induced to like actually give birth. And, um, they, they were willing to induce us like that night. And I was like, I just need like a breath. I need like a minute. Which was great. Cause that's gave the chance to like talk to people, our yeah. angels in our corner, and yeah. like completely change our plan for the next day. Yeah. So then calling the fa calling all of our family and explaining it to them, and just like kind of, everything just kind of stopped. And my first reaction is like, well, our daughter's in heaven now, so let's just like, you know, how do we make this happen? It was very sterile. That's how I processed Your things. Your initial reaction was like, 
Okay, can we just like take care of it without I don't, yeah, being I don't, a part of the yeah, this process? not knowing at all about the mental health side of it. And we had then we had some really good friends come out and say, "You're gonna want to remember this. You're gonna want to take pictures. You're gonna want to hold her. You're going to." Well, and I even said like, "I didn't. No, I, I want, didn't. Know. I want to hold her. I I didn't know." Um, and these people came in our corner and say, "Hey, stop what you're doing right now. You're gonna want to do this. Trust us." Yeah. And because of there because of them being brave enough to share their stories and talk to us it made that next day i don't want to say one of the best days of my life but it was it was a good day um when she finally was born and we got to hold her and just everything around that day was as good as it could be i'm not someone who always who asks for help and i remember dyke mccord the pastor around the woods said do you need anything i said can you be there and he stayed in the room with us um he was there the whole day, and it was great. So there's grief, and then there's something else I hadn't expected, which was we had friends in Manor Woods who had also experienced a loss, um, but they had a daughter, and I remember talking to them like, oh, I'm gonna need all the tips for going to Disney World, all the princess lines and stuff. So we created, you, once you know the gender, and you've picked a name, like you kind of forecast memories out. Yeah. Yeah. And having those removed or changed was very painful for a long time. Yeah. It was sad too to see people coming out who said, please don't tell anyone, but this happened to me too. And then they just vanished back into the shadows. And you feel bad, you're like, let's talk about this. Like, who were they? Like, yeah. can we? Yeah. yeah, I'm really thankful for the people that did tell us, like we had one friend tell us like, don't feel like you shouldn't, like it's wrong to take photos of her when she's born. And so we ended up having, um, uh, there's like a group called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep photographers that volunteer their time to come out and take photos of babies that have are stillborn or pass away shortly thereafter and um, they came out and took some really beautiful photos of her um, and so um, Brian and I had very different reactions to or not reaction like ways that we dealt with it initially I just wanted to like crawl up in a ball and shut out everyone and um, he just wanted to like talk about with everyone he just wanted to like I mean I remember that very day you were like I just want to be with family I want to just go do something so we ended up going to a friend's house who had a pool just kind of like spent time with family and I'm sure it was awkward for them but it was (laughs) you know what I mean and then the next day was when we we went in and um you know you kind of get these little snapshots of people's reactions to things when you're going through a time, like a really tough time. And I remember going in and telling them I was there to be induced and them looking at, like having this like weird look on their face, like you're not big enough to be induced. And then the, like that, the sort of like realization of like, oh, this isn't, this is not a good situation. So. Um, it's a hard, the birthing area is a hard place to be in when you've lost a child because it's the same place <laughs> you're seeing yeah. babies. I remember going back there then when Graham was born and just like losing. <laughs> but yeah. but like you said, the next day was really hard and really sad, but it was also like a really sweet time. Um, we got to we got to hold her, sing to her. We got to hold her and sing to her and. Um, just spend a little time with her. I remember, like, um, after it was all over, we're about to leave, 
and walking out of the hospital not with a daughter but with a small box that had you know what few things she had like the bracelet and stuff that so for me like on my faith journey I always believe in God and trust the God yeah. but I remember I think I think every industry and every person every whatever job you're in whatever you are in life like you have imposter syndrome like oh I know I know when the rubber meets the road I'm going to bail I'm going to give up and it just my faith felt so strong in that moment because I, I went right to God I sang hymns in the car like an old person <laughs> um, I just comforting. I prayed so much and then um, Ken Mead um, Ken, Ken Mead called me and um, he's since passed away and he said oh I talked to Jan his wife and said we got to call our friends our friends are hurting he may have said family he probably said family <laughs> probably and I told him I was like Ken I thought for sure I would give up and he said I didn't doubt you for a second <laughs> I think we had talked about sometime before that of like if anything would shake our faith it would be losing a child and then when it happened it was I like, still think that by the way even though we may have through this yeah. like hey we lost any of our kids now I don't know and that, there's and nothing more processing yeah. like processing day to day and just trying not to worry and to trust God it's very difficult um, but he's given us a good track record of like I just have nowhere else to go <laughs> I don't know I, what else I would do I I've said this so many times to other people, but I don't know how people get through grief without Jesus. I don't know how they get through any any of this without Jesus. Suicide makes a lot of sense to me without Jesus. I mean, even with God, you can have in faith, but like, I'm like, man, I can see how quickly, and I'm very grateful that for me, my faith has been enough. Um, I feel very, I just, yeah, my heart just goes out to people that don't have that or struggle in a different way mentally. But like, it just, I'm like, yeah, life is, life is suffering. Yeah. And if you can go through five years of relative peace, it's a blessing. Yeah. Life isn't for sissies, isn't that what Steve Brown always says? Life is not for sissies. <laughs> I, so we have mutual friends, a lot of mutual friends. And you guys losing Autumn shook a lot of people that I know and love. Um, not knowing it was you guys, just knowing there's this couple. And, and again, Brian, you said this earlier, like nobody warns you. There's so much, there's so much about life that, that you, you know is a thing. Like people lose children, cancer happens, car accidents, all these things. And you know mentally that they exist. But then you get to this point in your adulthood where you're like, I'm experiencing them and the people right next to me are experiencing them. And so you guys losing autumn, like shook a lot of the people that I know because that's when they realized, oh, this is real. The timing of everything always being so interesting. Like Chris and Maggie, we had known Chris from when he interned at Manor Woods in like 2008, I think. I think Mm -hmm. it was, or 2009, something like that. I met Maggie in Florida when we were down at Disney World with Oliver. It was just Oliver. Yeah, we were visiting some friends in Florida. And they invited Chris and Maggie to dinner. And then I remember, like, we were Facebook friends, right? Like, Chris and I weren't especially close when he was interning, but we were both in the youth group, doing stuff with the youth group. And um, so we're Facebook friends, and I remember watching their whole 
everything with Sammy, which was um, April of 2015. And I remember I was so sick during that time, and I always wanted to reach out to them after he passed away and just like, you know, send them my regards. Um, but um, and then you know Autumn passed away like like a month and a half after Sammy did. Um, then fast forward a year, and there's. Chris and Maggie are with you starting this church in Frederick, where we now live. Um, and they've gone through a similar thing as us. And Dyke McCord, who came and met um, with us at that one lunch, um, and he even told us, like, like, you guys need to be, like, with these people. Um, well, finding that out, like, retroactive, like, I remember, like, the vibe for Manor Woods, like, it's hard to let people go that are really helpful um but god we needed to grow and even though i felt a bit of resentment from us leaving to find out retroactively that dyke could like set it up to say hey these people need need community they're hurting um i thought i was just going to get free barbecue (laughs) if you hang out spend enough time with me you do get free barbecue (laughs) um and i remember thinking like there's no way and then it because uh, like moving from a recently renovated church at Manor Woods to a, a cafeteria, it's like, am I, am I? Is this the best for Oliver and Graham? Yeah. Or not Graham? The points are just Oliver. No, I guess it would have been Graham when it started. Yeah. Gosh, again, landing randomly in Frederick or seemingly randomly, and then having this be here mm-hmm. um, when we needed it was just like I almost like want to like shake my fist at God and be like. Can you give me some clue, please? Yeah. Like, I trust yeah. you. This no. nice now in hindsight. It's like we always tell our kids, like, I just need you to trust me on this. Like, yeah. I know better. Um, but yeah, it's been, I mean, moving forward, it's it's having people in your corner a lot right after you lose a child. And then the pain of watching people, and no fault of their own, just forget or forget to remember. The hard, hard little things like... Like, oh, you have three kids. And we always say, you know, we have four. And people that really know us, we say we have seven because yeah. of the triplets. Um, oh, and the miscarriage. And miscarriage. Oh, yeah, I can't keep track. I'm looking forward to going to heaven, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, you learn, you don't fault people for forgetting. Um, but you do have people that you, that say, hey, we'll always remember her, remember her birthday. Uh, our kids are really good about it. <clears throat> Oliver's always correcting me when I'm trying to be polite in public to not just bring everyone down. He's like, Daddy, what about Autumn and, you know, the others? Um, uh, so you, 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 you highly value those, those touch points, and those are really important. 2014, there was a lot. Of, we had a lot of loss. We had friends that, we had two friends pass away from cancer within, like, a month of each other, I think. And then a very odd thing happened. Our neighborhood, there was a plane crash in our neighborhood. Three blocks from our house, four blocks. It was really close. Yeah, it was like it was something like twelve houses or something from us. Um, it was. I mean, we lived near a uh, small airport. It was sure. a small. It was a small jet. It crashed. Everyone on board was killed, and it hit a house with a mom and two kids. And the two kids, one was Oliver's age, and the other was, which was like two at the time, or yeah, maybe three. The other was like six weeks old, and they just like got trapped in the bathroom and couldn't escape the smoke. And um, so there was just like a lot like that like super affected us because um, it was like our our neighbor that we didn't know but probably had run into at the yeah. park, and mm-hmm. we had a, now we had a kid the same age, and um, 
And so we just had like all these like back to back. And then losses. having a move, which is always upheaval, because like yeah. Oliver had a school, he was going to like preschool, and we had to switch. And... I didn't know what to do with that kind of grief. And when other people were grieving, I didn't know. Like I remember Alan, yeah. he had cancer, and he was so he was sick, and he would he would like be at church, and he'd just be like sitting in a chair, and. I didn't know what to say to him, I just, so I just I, kind I, of ignored him. I, yeah, I walked past him like the last few times I got to see him. And this I was, just... yeah, and this was someone we would speak to all the time. But it was felt so weird. It felt so awkward because I didn't know what to say to him. And then after he died, I didn't really know what to say to his widow and say to his son, and and so we just didn't really say anything. And then, you know, less than a year later, we have this loss, and it's like, oh man, okay. I don't, I don't want people to ignore me. I want yeah. people to. I want people to talk to me. I want people to, you know, say our daughter's name and um, and remember her. And that was, there were at least a few people at Manor Woods that were willing to bring her up by name. We had some people like specifically said, you know, like we will we will speak her name to you. We will talk to you about her. We will always remember her. Um, and so I really appreciated that. So then coming up here, it was really hard. Like no one at Collective knew. Um, about our daughter and so it was like to come somewhere where like people might just forget about her yeah. and might not know anything about her yeah I remember one of the first things that um, we all talked about because I think after the barbecue lunch you know Dyke says hey this is the community you guys should be a part of it's yeah. what's going to be best for you it's what's going to be best for Oliver I think part of it was Dyke knew um, that the wells were going to be the right people to be around you for the grief. Yeah. Um, like he had a wisdom that as a pastor now, I'm like, oh, I see that wisdom. At the time, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, they're young. <laughs> um, I know you guys have wrestled with like, how much do we talk about it? You know, how much do we, do we trust these people yeah. to bring them into the grief that you're, that's still grief? You know, when grief is separate from the loss, there's always that fear of, well, are they going to agree with me now? Because it's been a few years. Or are they going to think it's just like a, you know, point of mm -hmm. blip in my life? And um, one thing I've always appreciated about you guys, because you guys have included my family in on this, is that you guys have shared Autumn's story with us, and we've done the breakfast mm -hmm. on her birthday. And it's something that we put on our calendar every year as a reminder of when it is, because even though we weren't a part of your life at that time, like she's such a part of who you guys are, she's such a part of this church. I'll just say, and you guys know this, but for people listening, like the reason why we do Mother's Day the way we do Mother's Day, which in, at first everyone's like, this is depressing Mother's Day. And I'm like, <laughs> Mother's Day is hard. Yes. And part of the reason why we do Mother's Day at Collective the way we do it, which is a mixture of lament and grief and joy, is because of Autumn and because of Sammy. Because we know there's a lot of, of moms and dads who are still grieving, and sadly the church hasn't created a good place for that. You know, it's uh, let's celebrate all the kids and let's not remember all the pain. Mm -hmm. And um, I know I know it's been tough for you guys, but so much of your story has shaped who we are as a church because you're willing to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And really, I mean, honestly, guys, like part of it is you guys have helped me understand. And, you know, having friends that I love who have experienced this loss and learning, like, how do we grieve? You know, and I think that's one of the the, the biggest things of this is you know, life goes on for a lot of people, and but this is a part of your life, you know, and the, some of the ways that you keep it a part of your life is you share the story. Um, but do you guys mind sharing with us a little bit of like, give us some advice. Talk to us about how do we as people, how do we as Christians 
specifically, it's people who love Jesus and who understand when we read scripture, you know, we, we're supposed to mourn with those who mourn. We're supposed to, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice. We're really good at the rejoicing yeah. and we suck at the mourning and the weeping. We don't like the way it makes us feel. Um, but it's so much a part of faith and life and relationships and like vulnerability. Um, so talk for a little bit about like, what, what do we do? How do we respond to grief? You know, what did you guys need? Um, what would you encourage people to do? I think we had some people that said said and did really unhelpful things. But on the whole, most people that said or did anything did said and did the right things. Even if it like you could tell for some people it was super awkward and super hard. But we had just you might think that people want to be alone when they're grieving. And some people might want to be. But they also need people around them. Um, and they might not be able to talk, they might not be able to say much, but just sitting with them. I mean, everyone gives Job's friends a hard time yeah. in the Bible, <laughs> but they sit with him yeah. for like, like two weeks, right? Days, <laughs> days, they sit with him. But we had friends that, um, we had friends that planted a tree in her honor. And now this was the first year we actually got to see her her tree with like the actual like fall colors. Yeah. We were like, oh, finally, <laughs> she, she, she's like living up to her name of yeah. being an autumn yeah. glory. Um, and we had friends that um, she was like, I don't know if this is weird, but we just went to see this play and it was really funny and really positive. And I just, if you guys want to go, I would love to just send you to this play. It and was so, very funny. And it was so, and it was, it was such a it's thing. It's like a mime carnival with like. Which is not normally the thing we would like, but it was actually really well done. There was well like done. fake pie throwing, like invisible pie throwing and like pretend high wires. And it, we just laughed our pants off. Yeah, yeah it was, it was such a, <laughs> it, jo- was, it was, it was perfect. such a joyful thing. And it's one of those things that's like, you think that's weird yeah, to like, yeah. hey, I want to send you to this play. You just on, lost a kid. On paper, that sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. But I think she just, had bought tickets and said, they're at Will Coffee. You want them. If you don't want them, don't go. I think there, it was it was like it's no effort. It was like we just show up and say our names. Um, and then one friend set up like, what do you need? Do you need meals? Do you want like people to hang out with you? And I, we, we were like, sure, we'll take meals. But we would love if people want to like bring meals and just like hang out. Yeah. So we had some friend or even just come and hang out without a meal and so we had some friends come and just like especially friends with kids that was really helpful to have oliver to have like time to just just like be with other kids like i remember playing just like hanging having a meal in baker park and like playing and um we had friends come and just like do a play date and we just kind of sat and i cried a lot and they felt awkward but they were happy to be there uh, Bethany came over at one point as we were preparing for Autumn's uh, like memorial, um, and she just helped me make like a scrapbook for people to like sign and fill out cards in, and it was really hard. It was really hard to sit there and put that together with her. We were just like took turns crying, <laughs> but it was so helpful and so healing. So I think just like offering. Don't just say, hey, let me know if there's anything I can do. That's like the most unhelpful <laughs> making thing. A, making a suggestion is good. Like, yeah. It's Same. like helping a kid making, pick a meal, yes. chicken nuggets or mac yeah. and cheese. Because yeah. at that point, you're basically a broken little kid. You're giving, like, I need mac and yes. cheese now. Giving specific, like, 
hey, can I do this for you? Or if you need me, if you need this, if, if you need to like go anywhere, you need me to pick up anything. Like your parents just showed up and brought groceries. Like mm-hmm. they didn't ask us. They just like brought a bunch of groceries, filled our fridge. Um, and just saying, hey, I'm available from this time to this time. What can I do for you? Or so just being really specific with your offers can be really helpful. Making it a priority to show up. Um, one of the silver linings of our efforts with the Manor Woods youth group was most of the people, we had a lot of family at her memorial service, but it was it was chock-a-block full of all students. And that was huge, because they like, they were all there. It was really cool uh, that they met us at that point. Yeah. It was a lot of college kids too that were home on break, and mm-hmm. we didn't realize we had made it during their fall break, and they came to her and memorial came, that, that yeah. we, like a, a bunch. It was, yeah. that was really special. Yeah, I, I kind of took No, that's it. I mean, the thing that helped me, I mean, not everyone's a hugger, but I, like when Dyke showed up right after we found out we'd lost her, um, he showed up and I tried stupidly like a like a proper British boy <laughs> to like welcome him to our new home. And I just started crying and I couldn't. He just grabbed me and hugged me and just held me. And I and I like collapsed and he just kept holding me. He didn't say anything. It probably was like, it probably lasted for a long time. That was helpful. Yeah. For someone might, like me to try as a, over process it was just like stop we we also all obviously had a lot of people praying for us and we even had one friend that um (laughs) oddly enough months before that I had dislocated my knee and he I came to church on crutches one Sunday and he was like hey can I he was one of these guys that would like can I pray for you right now Mm -hmm. and he had prayed for my back before and you know nothing really got better and then one Sunday at church I show up with a, on crutches and he prayed for my knee and I was able to actually like walk out of there without crutches mm-hmm. like I was still in I still needed to do a lot of therapy on my knee but it was like some people as I'm using quotes like faith healed me and then he when we lost Autumn he like showed up at our house like that night and like prayed that she would come back to life and um, he just he had a ton of faith he had like brought a friend and their wife his wife sent flowers and I didn't even know this lady and it was just like a very sweet thing that she did it you know she was still gone and but I wasn't like offended or hurt by that I was really I just super appreciated that he was willing to like because for a lot of people that would be really awkward it would be they wouldn't feel like they can pray for bringing her back to life they, they would feel like well, if God says no, then I'm going to feel really bad, right? And so I think um, I just really appreciated that he did that even though mm-hmm. she, you know, she was still gone. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's a, when, when talking about death, it's the beautiful thing about heaven, right? Without the hope that one day, the way Jesus describes it, is that we will get to be with these people again. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that our friends Chris and Maggie say all the time is that they're really excited to get to heaven one day so Sammy can teach them what it's like to worship Jesus for oh, eternity. Yeah, and it's just this like beautiful understanding of, of life beyond life. It doesn't make the pain go away. doesn't mean you shouldn't grieve. Absolutely, you should grieve. Um, but it gives you that little glimmer of like, this isn't it. This isn't, this isn't all. So, so since then, the, the story yeah, so far yeah, here. Yeah, because like what autumn's passing shapes so much of the next season of your life. 
Yeah, so we, we Graham was born in 2016. I remember when we told Dyke, we're like, hey, we're gonna try, we're gonna try for another kid. He's like, you should. Because we weren't sure after that yeah. if we were going to, and that's a hard decision to make. I remember asking our friends who were our real angels in the corner who like had lost um, their son. I remember asking him at a dinner, I'm like, because we were pregnant with Graham. We didn't know if he was a boy or a girl yet. And I said, did you guys pray that you get another boy? Because like, they had lost a boy. Because they lost a boy. They said, we just prayed for a healthy kid, and that's yeah. what I ended up praying for. And so we got a boy, and we didn't get a girl. And that was difficult, because, you know, you kind of had this plan for, like, one of each, or, you know, yeah. like, oh, you, you kind of want to yeah. raise a girl. And my brother, and then my brother, you know, had a girl, and I got to kind of see, like, what mine might have looked like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, so we planned on having two kids. And then we had Piper. Yeah, the surprise. That is a wonderful joke from God. I remember, like, <laughs> we prayed. I went, ha ha, God, very funny. And I panicked. It was it was a different kind of panic than the autumn, but similar. I was like, we're going to Bethany's. we got to go to Bethany's. I have to tell somebody I am exploding inside. <laughs> and I was so worried. I'm like, Karen's, you know, older, yeah. mid-30s. Yeah. So my, my brain goes to, okay, it's riskier pregnancy yeah, and all yeah. stuff. And God gave us just an incredible hellcat of a girl who's just spunky and feisty mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we didn't we didn't plan on her but we have her and she's a part of our story now and she's a surprise in a different way and it's yeah. like just God even having not just getting us through the grief but then saying hey you this is not a smart decision for you you think but here you go yeah. and seeing what she's gonna do and how she is gonna you know carry on Autumn's story and just you know carrying our story and you know how she grows in her faith so and it's also been nice because like i've really missed i I really missed the like the girly side of things it's different raising girls than boys It, it just is and it just like getting to do that now with piper is like it's just so special because because autumn's not replaced she's not forgotten right she is like fully a part of us um but getting to do all the girly things now it, is, is it, really special. There's a Bible, for, uh, you know, we know that God, like, he knows what we need, even if we don't ask it. Yeah. And I feel like Piper so much, like, <laughs> even though we were like, you know, logically, like, well, a third kid's very expensive, but it's like, he's like, you need a girl, or you need, you need one here. Yeah. I got her, yeah. you need Piper. Yeah. You know, you said it, Piper's not a replacement of Autumn, yeah. um, but you can now allow the memories and the dreams of Autumn to shape Piper, mm-hmm. you know? And it's not that you're going to go to Disney and go, this should have been. Mm-hmm. You get to go to Disney and say, hey, like, we're going to bring this with us. And it's going to shape how we live. And, and it has to. It can't not shape how you live and what your faith is like. We have a deal now. Um, as we get, when we get older and our health starts to decline, mm-hmm. many, many years from now, I said, hey, Whoever goes first, remind the other one, you could see Autumn first. Yeah. So when you suffer loss, you know, not comparing one loss to the next, but just a devastating loss, it's really easy to give up, right? It's really easy to walk away from your faith. It's really easy. And I, and I think if it happened, I think if you guys chose in that moment, especially Brian, you know, you, you fall on your knees and you pray and, and um, you know, it, it, there is no miracle. Right. Um, I think if you guys chose to be like, now nah, we're done, like we're not going to serve in a church, we're not going to go to a church, maybe we believe in God, but even that it's doubtful. Mm-hmm. I think if you guys chose that route, there's a lot of people in your life who would go, yeah, we get that. 
especially losing a child, I don't think there's anything more devastating than that. What and why did you guys continue to lean in? How did faith help you get through that? Why didn't you give up on Jesus and your relationship with God? I don't know that I really made a choice one way or the other. It was just like, God is just who, like, he's the only one that has all the answers. And so he's just who you reach out to. He's who's, he is who you lean on. I don't, maybe I'm not remembering correctly, but I don't really feel like I was ever truly like angry with God. I think I was, I was just really, you know, I was really sad. And of course I wanted God to like stop this from happening. But ultimately I, I knew like this world is broken and there's always going to be pain. There's always going to be grief. And so you just have to, you have to just put one foot in front of the other, you know, and you have to um, lean on those who love you. And God is the ultimate source of love. And so there's, who else am I going to reach out to? Um, Brian is also like my rock, but Oh God, help us all! <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean truly, without you, I, I, it 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 would have been a lot. It would have been way different, way harder. We have our you. dynamic is very much like the you heard the 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 lifeboat and like one person's losing it, one person's rowing. That's me and Garen. Yeah. For me, it was like just knowing who Jesus was and how he interacted with yeah. death. I mean, like his friend died and he cried. He knew he was coming back. Yeah. I think that's I think that's it. I think God doesn't want he he doesn't want any of this like this is not if we could do it some other way he would but you know the world has to break so that we can choose him or not choose him and there has to be this and um I, like i said earlier like i i, wouldn't, I have nowhere else to go uh, even if i'm wrong about faith there's nothing else that even like rings even slightly true comparatively there's something in here that is undeniably beyond you know, pastoral trickery or conference, you know, gimmicks. It's like, there's just something here that just does, that doesn't feel false. It just, you can't fake it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not going, I mean, he can't get rid of me. <laughs> we support some missionaries in India and um, reading the stories of a lot of the, like the organization we support, they, they raise up native missionaries so they don't they don't take american people and send yeah. them overseas and spend all this money to do that they raise up local native missionaries and because of that they don't they don't always have the the means to like bring people a bunch of food and clothes and 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 resources but they can sit in the dirt with the people that are hurting and just mourn with them and feel their pain with them and share the the hope of Jesus, and that's that's all some people can yeah. can offer. And that to me has always like stuck out as like yeah. meeting people where they are at. Yeah. And that's what so many of our friends did for us is to to meet us where we were yeah. and sit with us. So one of the questions we ask at the end is we ask, hey, what advice would you give the people that are in similar parts of their life and we're praying that other people don't have to go through what you've went through. But the reality is like, we know that people are going to go through this or are, are in this right now that we don't know yet or are a year out of it, but don't have 
the people in their corner. So what advice would you give to somebody who experiences like this type of loss uh, when it comes to life, faith, relationships, like whatever um, you feel like God puts on your heart to share to the people who are listening? Within the, la- within the few days after Autumn passed away, I remember like kind of like looking in the mirror and being like, what does it even matter if I like brush my teeth or brush my hair or like put on makeup or do any of that stuff? And then I was like, you know what? It's the little things. I just got to focus on doing the little things because ultimately, yeah, they're not going to bring back Autumn. They're not going to heal my heart, but there are things you have to do. You have to, you know, eat. You have to go to the bathroom. You have to groom yourself. And while it might take you three times as long because you break down crying, you know, multiple times throughout it, um, you just have to do those things. And you have to just, like, focus on one thing at a time. Just keep breathing. Yeah. Keep going. Keep looking up. And when you feel like you want to just curl up in a ball, um, do it if you need to for a little while. But just talk to God in Thessalonians where it talks about pray continually. Like, just do that. Like, praying continually doesn't mean you have to start, dear God, and then, like, go through a whole list of things and then say, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, like, you can literally just say, hey, God, I need you to help me with this one thing. Or, God, just help me stand up. Help me take this next step. Help me you know, take a shower. Help me to do this next thing. In the movie Interstellar, they talk about how love is an, a, a, an odd force because it transcends time and space physically, but also life and death. Um, you can love someone that's been gone for years. And mm-hmm. I try to keep those connections very active. I try, I don't shy away from a feeling that might make me cry. I lean into it. So if a movie makes me think of autumn or a song, there's some songs I like, I'm like, I don't want to cry now, I'm not going to let's do it. But then if I'm like, I'm driving home or I'm running out in the woods, I just need to reconnect here. Um, that's the same with like worship music too. Like there's songs that just bring me down. And I think it's important to keep those spots tender because it keeps those connections active. Something you'll find is that whenever you start to share your story and there's a lot of pain and grief in it, the first thing people do is go, like when you start to get choked up, they go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to make you cry. Because it's really awkward. Like they don't want to like, because they think they're causing you pain. They're they're not causing you pain. Um, They're giving you a chance to like share your story. Um, And sometimes that means you're going to cry. And so um, if you're hearing that story, don't apologize for making them cry. Just just listen and be there for them. And if you're the one uh, sharing that story, don't let that cause you to clam up. Just share the story. And share the story with whoever you feel like you're comfortable sharing the story with. All right. So last question. Uh, my favorite question of the podcast is we always end with what's your favorite Bible verse or really what was the verse maybe that got you through that season? Or if you could share with us, what is your favorite Bible verse? So I do really love First Thessalonians 5.17. It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. It's just pray continually or in other versions, it's pray without ceasing. And that just means, you know, just talk to God all the time. I was going through um, my YouVersion app to see what I've highlighted through the years. And um, I was like, oh yeah, this is really good. It's in Lamentations 3.22. And it says, uh, this is the NIV version, which I think is um, says it really nicely. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Um, and so that's, 
yeah, I mean, it's that's been, even if I didn't remember that specific verse, I knew that that was, like, God's compassions would help me get through anything to help me to not be completely consumed by grief or any anything else in our lives. Uh, so second Timothy, uh, as a filmmaker, it's so cinematic. Like, Paul is, like, sick on his last leg. It's like his farewell ballad. And like, just just to think to get to the point where you're dying, you can say, I fought a good fight, I finished it, I've kept the faith. I, like that gets me to tears. Like every time I read it, it's a, a limp across the finish line, but you did it. And I love that. Verse that I always hold close is Second Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is my perfect weakness. I mean like the insanity of something weak being the strongest is so backwards. And such a God thing. And like, I'm someone who tries to fix and do everything right. <laughs> so to know that just like letting go is, uh, it's very helpful for me. Guys, thank you so much for sitting down and being willing to share your story. We have a unique opportunity as a community and as a group of people to, to share our stories in order to heal in our own lives, but also to help other people. And you guys have already been doing that. You've been doing that for years behind the scenes. Um, and so I'm just thankful that you would take the, the moment to be vulnerable and, and stand and, or sit in front of the mic and sit in front of the camera um, and share your story. I know, you know, Autumn shapes so much of who you guys are, shapes your kids, really truly shapes a lot of what Collective Kids is like, you know, with Bethany leading it, shapes a lot of who we are as a church. And so um, I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful for you guys and being willing to, to allow, you know, this church and allow these people to be a part of, of that story uh, in that life and just really thankful for you guys. So thank you guys for, for your time today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for asking us to do it. Cause I don't know that I would have volunteered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it means a lot. Thank you guys.